We have two more weeks left in the faith series. I'd like to invite Dwayne to come. And he's going to bring the word this morning, continuing in Hebrews chapter 11. So let's pray. Lord, I thank you for Dwayne. I thank you for his faithfulness in study and preparation. I thank you for what you've put on his heart this morning. I thank you for the power of your word. And I just pray for your anointing over him as he preaches this morning. We pray that you would continue to speak to our hearts and our spirits. Soften our hearts, open our eyes spiritually so that we can see you and our faith can be strengthened into action today. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, well, good morning. It's good to be here. Don't some of you already feel like we've got a word this morning already with what God is doing. But uh, this morning we're going to continue in our faith series, uh, continuing in Hebrews chapter 11. And uh, this morning we're going to be looking at uh, Hebrews chapter 11, starting at verse 27 through 31. So there's several stories here that we're going to uh, be picking up and catching on. So last week, Pastor Kendra helped us look at Moses in verses 23 through 27 and how through faith, Moses chose to be identified with the people of God, even though it included suffering, hardship, and required perseverance, rather than enjoying the easy lifestyle that he could have enjoyed with the Egyptians and where he was living then. But in that chapter, there's one more verse talking about Moses. That verse is chapter, verse 28. So this morning we're going to pick up in chapter 11 of Hebrews, verse 28. And this is coming out of the New Living Translation, but it says, It was by faith that Moses commanded the people of Israel to keep the Passover and to sprinkle blood on the doorpost so that the angel of death would not kill their firstborn sons. So this story is coming, again, from Moses, going all the way back to, to Exodus, all the way back to Exodus chapter 3, is where we find this story when, when God gives Moses an assignment. God tells Moses that he has, he has a job for him to do. Moses is out at this time. He's out tending the sheep. He's out on the hillside, and, and he sees this bush that is on fire. But there's something unusual about this bush. This bush, it's not burning up. And, and the way the New Living Translation says, it says, Moses says, this is amazing. Why isn't that bush burning up? I must go and see it. I just like the way that this translation just kind of puts it like, wow, what is up with that? I need to go and figure this out. See what's happening here. And as Moses goes over to this bush, the, the Lord speaks to him through an angel and and gives him this assignment. The assignment is to deliver the people of Israel out of slavery in Egypt. God reveals to Moses that he has seen and he has heard the cries of the people and has come to lead them, to come to make the way for them to get out of Egypt. And he's going to give them their own fertile land, their own spacious land flowing with milk and honey, the land of Canaan. But Moses protests. Moses says, no way, God, I, I can't do this. I, 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 I can't even speak very well. I mean, you can't use me. 
I can't do it. And he gives a whole bunch of excuses. He even challenges God. Like, it's not me. But as you go in the story, eventually he agrees. Eventually he goes back to Egypt. So in the story, by this time, Moses is 80 years old. Now, there's not many of us in this room that are over 80. But Moses is over 80 when he finally agrees. So jumping along in this story, Moses and his brother Aaron come to Pharaoh. They approach Pharaoh to do the assignment that God has given them. And they go to Pharaoh and they request of Pharaoh, King Pharaoh, let the people go. Let the Israelites leave so they can go out into the wilderness and they can worship God. But if you're familiar with the story, you know that Pharaoh's heart is hardened and he says, no way, not going to do it. These, Egyptians, or these Israelites are our slaves. They're our workers. They are helping us here. No way, not doing it. So God sends the plagues. There are 10 plagues that God sends on the Egyptians. And without really going into the story a whole lot, you remember some of the, the plagues. The first one was the Nile River, where all the river and all the bodies of water in Egypt turned to blood. I mean, I, I can't even imagine what that would have been like. But it says all the bodies of water turned to blood. And the fish died. I mean, I know what it's like to go down to the ocean and you see, smell the fish and stuff and all the dead fish and what it smells like. Think of all the water, all the bodies of water, not only being bloody, but smelling like stinking dirty fish. It says the fish died and the river stank. That's what the word says. But still King Ferris says, no way. The second plague was the frogs. Frogs everywhere. And after they died, it says they piled them up in heaps and the land reeked. Then we get the plague of the gnats, or as the King James, King James Version says, the lice. It says when, when Aaron struck the ground, the dust of the land turned to gnats or lice, and they were on man and animals. I mean, you sit around the campfire, and the bugs are kind of bad once in a little bit. Think if they were everywhere, like the dust of all the ground turns to these bugs, and they're just crawling everywhere. This plague, the Egyptian magicians, apparently the first plague they were able to replicate. This plague, the Egyptian magicians could not replicate, replicate, replicate this one. And even the magicians said, this is the finger of God. So these plagues are continuing to increase. The next one was the flies, and they were all over the land of Egypt. But the interesting one about the flies was God did not send the flies into the land of Goshen, where the, where the Hebrews were living, but only where the Egyptians were living. He begins to make this distinction, starting to draw the lines. Then it was the livestock. All the livestock of the Egyptians out in the fields died, but none of the Israelites' animals died. Then we had the boils, festering boils on people and animals. And then hail. Thunder and lightning that ruined the barley and the flax crops. Stripped them of every, of every tree. All the leaves stripped off. And if that wasn't enough, the next plague was the locust that came and ate up everything that was left. Devoured everything. It says the locust covered the ground until the ground was black. 
Like they were just everywhere. You know, a couple of years ago we had the we had the lantern flies. You know, I was in the, the orchard business at the time, and that was a major concern. But the lantern flies and how they were going to be everywhere, and prior to that was the stink bugs. But even when they were felt like everywhere, they didn't cover the parking lot and everything else. I mean, they were around some places. Some of our trees, you know, they were seen like they were all over. But this says the locusts covered the ground until it was black, everywhere. Just imagine this locust everywhere, but still Pharaoh. His heart was hard, and he says, no way, not letting him go. The ninth plague was the darkness for three days, but the darkness was only in the areas where the Egyptians lived. Again, God was dividing the lines between the Israelites and the Egyptians, and he was, I believe, helping the, Egyptian, or helping the Israelites recognize the power of God. Each one of these plagues was related to nature. And at that time, the Egyptian gods were all related to nature. And so this was an attack on their gods. In each play, God, the God I am, Yahweh, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, was exalted and shown to be more powerful than all the other Egyptian gods. All the things that they looked up to and feared and and worshipped, God, through these plagues, was drawing the attention back to himself. But still Pharaoh's heart was hard, and he did not let the people go, did not let the Israelites leave. Then we get to this final plague, the 10th plague. And God gives Moses specific instructions so that the people of Israel would be protected during this plague. It says, The angel of death would strike down the firstborn son in every family, as well as the firstborn among the cattle. The only way the Israelites would be spared from this final plague was if they followed these instructions carefully. God instructed them to sacrifice a lamb, a perfect lamb without blemish, a one-year-old male lamb. He said to roast it over a fire. They weren't to boil it, weren't to cook it in any other way. Roast it over a fire. Eat it with bitter herbs and unleavened bread. And then take some hyssop. Hyssop is like an, like an herb. It's kind of like a mint. It grows all around the Mediterranean and that, that region. But to take, and it was often used as a, as a cleansing or as a, uh, like, I'm sure that other people use it as, as medicinal ways, but to take this, this hyssop and use it almost like a paintbrush, dip it in the blood from this perfect lamb and paint it around the doorpost to mark your home. These were new instructions. The people never had to do anything like this before. And, and the other difficult plagues hadn't affected the Israelites this plague was going to affect the Israelites as well if they didn't obey and follow these instructions to sprinkle this blood around the doorposts so the angel of death wouldn't kill their firstborn. And we just heard a testimony this morning of, of Matt and Courtney and of praying and longing for that firstborn, longing for that child. There was no respecter if they didn't follow these instructions. And Moses took God's instructions seriously. 
he recognized God's authority, holiness, power, and might. You realize what has happened in Moses' lifetime, getting us up to this point. Remember the story of Moses way back in the, in the basket, in the bulrushes, where God spares him from the Pharaoh's edict at that time to kill all the babies two years and under? And then he's raised in Pharaoh's household. He spends 40 years out in the desert being prepared by God. And by now, Moses knows that it's important to take God seriously. As we come back into our faith series this morning, one of the first points I recognize is faith takes God seriously. Faith takes God seriously, takes his word seriously. So by this time, I believe the Israelites' faith in God was growing stronger. You know, they've been there and they've been pleading, God, get us out of this place. We're slaves here. Get us out of here. And God hears them. But he's preparing them for this, for this great exodus. The writer of Hebrews says in verse 28, it was by faith that Moses commanded the people of Israel to keep the Passover and to sprinkle blood on the doorpost so that the angel of death would not kill their firstborn sons. You know, it's in the same way. I hope, I hope that as we've, that our faith has been strengthened this summer as we've been hearing some of each other's faith stories. You know, the faith stories of the ways that God has worked in each of our lives over the years. Way back when Walter shared about the exchange student that stayed in their home and the ways that God continued to work there. I mean, last week, hearing Nate's story about what, how God continued to spare him when he was two and prepare him for what the calling that he has for his life today. The ways that God is, has orchestrated and helped, helped uh, Troy uh, be able to get free from those addictions. You know, God continues to work in our lives I remember what Pastor Patrick, and this even came up earlier this morning, what Pastor Patrick from Kenya once said. He said, the God of thus far is the God of the rest of the way. You know, after that final plague, the Egyptians urged the Israelites to leave quickly during the night, and they gave them everything that they asked for, gold, silver. I mean, they looted them as they left, went out the door. They took gold, the silver, the jewelry, clothes, and out the door they went quickly. The Israelites were, or the Egyptians were glad just to see them go on their way because they had seen and had experienced all these plagues at that time. But as the Israelites journeyed through the desert, God led them to the Red Sea. The next verse here in Hebrews we're going to look at is, is in verse 28. And it's, it's a story of where God leads them to the Red Sea. No, God didn't lead the people on the shortest route, though, to get to the Red Sea, to the, to the promised land. You know, God didn't take them the quickest way to get there. It says in, in Exodus 13, in verses 17, 18, when Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them on the road through the Philistine country, though that was shorter. For God said, if they face war, they might change their minds and want to return to Egypt. So God led the people around by the desert road toward the Red Sea. The Israelites went up out of Egypt ready for battle. Walking by faith does not necessarily mean we will have the shortest, easiest path towards God's promise. 
It was by faith that the people of Israel went right through the Red Sea as though they were in dry ground. But when the Egyptians tried to follow, they were all drowned. As God's people were facing the Red Sea in front of them, they discovered that Pharaoh had changed his mind again. And the Egyptian army with horses and chariots was closing in behind them. In verse 7, it kind of indicates that like there was this like the 600 of the choice chariots, but not just 600 of the choice chariots, all the other chariots that had, that had uh, captains were also pursuing them. Like this was no small group. I mean, it was no small group of Israelites leaving, but it was no small group of Egyptians pursuing them and chasing after them. And so to kind of bring into that story again, remember the, these, they've, went through all these plagues and all, and now they finally left, and they've gone out across the, the uh, desert, and Pharaoh changed his mind, and he sends his chariots after him. So these people, they're remembering all the hardships, all the slavery, all what they've been through, and now they're coming after him again. But they look ahead, and they got this, the Red Sea, which the Jordan River kind of comes down through to the Red Sea, and it's a big body of water. This was their first faith test after they left Egypt. And they were afraid. And I think any of us, if we're in that situation or in a situation like that where we'd be afraid too. I think I'd be afraid because you don't know what's going to happen. I'm sure, like I said, they were remembering all the slave drivers that had, had forced them into long days of hard work and all. And, and now they felt trapped. They felt like they were between a rock and a hard place. They were be between an army pursuing them and a Red Sea in front of them. Many of us, when we find ourselves in situations where there's no easy answer, we feel stuck between that rock and that hard place. And sometimes we just want to throw up our hands and give up. It's just not worth it. In Exodus 14, they said to Moses, and this is when they're sitting out there in the desert, and this is all starting to, to happen. They say to Moses, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, this is verse 12, leave us alone, let us serve the Egyptians. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. How quickly they forgot that they were calling out to God for their freedom, that once they started getting there and got into this difficult place, they would have rather been back in that slavery, in that bondage. And they blame Moses. But Moses says, Moses answers them with this, do not be afraid. Stand firm, and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring. When you're trapped by circumstances, have faith in God's deliverance. Moses understood because of his lifetime, all the things he'd walked through. He understood, and he took seriously the word of the Lord. And he understood that God had spoken to him to help lead them 
the, the Israelites out of Egypt. God had given Moses the greater picture. In that moment, the people of the Israelites, they didn't see it. They felt like their circumstances, they felt very trapped. They felt like they saw the, the chariots and the, the army coming towards them, and they saw this body of water. And in that moment, they felt very uh, helpless. But God delivered in a miraculous way. And we know this story. We know what's going to happen, right? Those of you that know this story, we know what's going to happen, right? We know God's going to open the seas. But in that moment, the angel of God who had been traveling in front of Israel's army withdrew, it says. It says and it, so, so as they're leading, there's a cloud that's leading them by day and a pillar of fire by night. And it says this cloud moved from in front of them, moved behind them. Kind of moved behind the, the children of Israel and the Egyptian army. And, and kind of protected them. It says in verse 20 of Exodus 14, coming between the armies of Egypt and Israel, throughout the night the cloud brought darkness to the one side and light to the other side, so neither went near the other all night long. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and all that night the Lord drove the sea back with a strong east wind and turned it into dry land. The waters were divided, and the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left. So as Moses obeyed God's instructions to stretch out his hand over the waters, God sent this strong wind. Now, I know the flannel graph stories we talked about, or the pictures you see in the books make this look like this nice little, the water is separated, and little happy fish are jumping out of the waves. And it's, but it says a strong east wind was blowing. There's this, there's this fog, this cloud behind them. A strong wind is blowing. I have a feeling the environment at the moment, like it's not just a picture. The environment at the moment, I think, was probably dark and stormy. It didn't have that feeling of like, oh, everything's going to just be all right here. Yeah. There was this storm, this fog that was protecting them. And, and God is making a way, but they don't see it at this point. They don't know how this is going to all go down. But this wind is blowing, and all night this wind blows, and it says it dries the land, dries the ground, dries the, the sea. And a way was opened through the sea, which was the obstacle, the impossible circumstance in their lives. But it still required faith to walk with these walls of water on either side. You know, I think when they stepped into this here, I don't think they could see the other side. They could see these waters and all, and they're instructed to walk across, but they didn't see the other side yet. I don't think they knew what was gonna, what all was there, but by faith, they took these steps. The people, it says they walked, the reason I say that is because it says they walked all day and through the night to get across. So if you're walking all day and part of the night, unless you're in, like, it's not stormy and it's really clear and, and calm because I'm sure the wind kept on blowing to keep the water back, right? I think it, this is me just paint, painting this picture in my mind, but I'm thinking it still felt a little stormy as they were going. Like it didn't all of a sudden, the sun come out and everything was all happy and oh, God opened a way. I think it was still a bit stormy. Like they didn't know at this moment. They are needing to walk this out in faith, one step at a time, one foot in front of the other 
to see where God was going to continue to lead them. But he opened up, opened up the way. It says, they walked all day and through the night to get across. And in the last watch of the night, God caused confusion among the Egyptians. So the last watch of the night, God causes confusion. And he made the wheels of their chariots come off. And at daybreak, when Moses stretched out his hand again over the sea, the waters went back into place and the Egyptian army drowned in the sea. Verse 31, the NIV says, When the Israelites saw the mighty hand of the Lord displayed against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and put their trust in him. So this didn't just happen in a, in a two-minute story. This is over hours, days of this journey of, of wrestling with this, but needing to take the, take the faith to walk it out. So what does it mean to fear the Lord? It says the people fear the Lord and put their trust in him. This is not a fear equivalent to being afraid. Afraid. It's not about being afraid. But what does it mean to fear the Lord? Some other translations use words like reverent awe before God. Or the Amplified Version says, with reverence and awe-filled respect. The New Living Translation, filled with awe before him. So to fear the Lord is to have awe and respect for who he is. To have reverence toward him and his ways. To realize that he is God and I am not. Faith, faith treats God with reverence and respect. Faith takes God seriously. Displays of God's miraculous power put us in a posture of fearing God, fearing him and placing our trust in him, allowing our faith to grow. I'll say that again. Displays of God's miraculous power, like parting that sea, like all the plagues, that were helping to build their faith before they left. Put us in a posture of fearing him, of awe and respect, of honor to God, and placing our trust in him, allowing our faith to grow. Faith. Faith. Now, the writer of Hebrews jumps another 40 years to highlight the faith of this next generation. So that was the generation of Israelites that left Egypt, okay? And they travel, they cross the Red Sea, and they're in this desert. And for the next 20 years, the next 40 years, they're wandering around. But all those 20 years and older who grumbled against God in the desert after being miraculously delivered from their slavery in Egypt, even after they saw the miraculous parting of the Red Sea and God bringing them through and they looked back and they saw all the Egyptians' chariots being drowned, seeing the promises there, they all die before reaching the promised land. And unfortunately, apart from the crossing of the Red Sea, 
it doesn't appear that this generation in the wilderness lived by faith or continued to live by faith in their everyday circumstances. In Jude, which is only one, one chapter in the book of Jude, but in Jude chapter 1, verse 5, it indicates that God first rescued the nation of Israel from Egypt, but later he destroyed those who did not remain faithful. They didn't get to enter the promised land. But now we're going to jump ahead here. We're going to see this next generation. This next generation who grew up in the desert. They're now ready to enter the promised land with Joshua as their leader. So this next verse in Hebrews 11 kind of helps us look at this story. And so once again, God parts the waters of something for the people so they could go where he was leading them. And he parts the waters of the Jordan River. This time as the priests are carrying the Ark of the Covenant and as they step into that Jordan River, they said the Jordan River was at flood stage. I'm not going to go into all the details of that story. But as they stepped into the river, the river parts and they're able to, to walk across. And God causes the waters to, to be cut off and to stand in a heap, it says, as the, as the Israelites crossed over the Jordan River. And their first assignment now is to take the promised land of Canaan, or, or their first assignment once they entered the promised land of Canaan was to capture this fortified city of Jericho. So this one is coming out of verse 30 in Hebrews chapter 11. Again, it's verse 30. And it says, By faith that the people of Israel marched around Jericho for seven days, and the walls came crashing down. So we're going to jump ahead here a little bit in, this, in, the, in time here. But in Jericho, Jericho was a city. It was one of the, it's probably one of the oldest, one of the oldest cities. It's, got, it's known for its great fortified walls all around it. It had these freshwater springs that were within, the, within its confines. So people could stay in there. They could live in there for a, for a long time without even having to, to leave the city. They had the protection um, all around them. But... It was in Canaan. It was in the promised land that God was promising for the Israelites. So how are the Israelites ever going to be able to conquer this incredible city? And again, we're going to see the miraculous power of God at work. It says in that day, there was only a few ways that that anybody could conquer a, a great fortified city with great walls like this. Either they could possibly tunnel underneath it if they had the patience and the, the endurance to, to try to dig a, a tunnel underneath to try to gain access to the city. Or they could go over the wall if they could uh, withstand the, the fighters that were up on the, up on the top. Maybe they could try to break through the wall, but realistically, how are they going to do that? I mean, these walls were very, very thick. Possibly lay siege to the city. But how long would you have to wait to do that? I mean, they have fresh water within the city and, and a food source that would take a long time. Possibly they could try some sort of trickery as the Greeks did with the Trojan horse, you know, and all hide and somehow get in within the walls to open up. But remember, these people have been wandering around the desert for 40 years. The task seems impossible and overwhelming. Again, they've come out, they've just crossed the Jordan River, and now they have this Huge obstacle in front of them. My point on your handouts, when you face insurmountable obstacles, have faith in God's deliverance. When you face insurmountable obstacles, have faith in God's deliverance. When obstacles, 
When the obstacle is something bigger than we can handle or we don't have what we need to fix it, we get discouraged or hopeless. There's a quote I read from Ray Fowler. He says, when, and I really like this, when we, face obstacle, when we face a huge obstacle in life, the reason we sometimes panic is because we look at the obstacle in relation to ourselves rather than in relation to God. When we face a huge obstacle in life, the reason we sometimes panic is because we look at the obstacle in relation to ourselves rather than in relation to God. I know for myself many times when I look at things and I think logically and I think, well, well how's that going to be possible? How am I going to be able to do that? Or how, how is that going to even happen? So as I prepared this message this morning, it really spoke to me and challenged me many times. But the Lord had said to Joshua, See, I've delivered Jericho into your hands, along with its king and its fighting men. March around the city once with all the armed men. Do this for six days. Have seven priests carry trumpets and ram's horns in front of the ark. On the seventh day, march around the city seven times with the priests blowing the trumpets. When you hear them sound a long blast on the trumpets, have the whole army give a loud shout. Then the wall of the city will collapse and the army will go up, everyone straight in. So in this here, the people believed the word of the Lord and acted upon their belief. By faith, they marched. It was the most unusual warfare strategy. I couldn't help but think back to when our kids were younger and all the VeggieTales movies that we watched. Remember the VeggieTales when they were in the, in the Great Wall and the peas that are sitting up on the wall with their little blue, what, what do you call that little, like their helmet, little feather things? They're, yes, the flumes. And they're all lined up on the wall. And what were they singing? Anyone remember? <laughs> Keep walking, but you won't knock down our wall. Keep walking. It's plain to see your brains are very small, so keep walking because you won't knock down our wall. I couldn't help but this song, yeah, yeah, no, I won't keep singing. Kept going through my mind of how, of these, of these how, how uncharacteristic and how ridiculous this strategy seemed. Walk around this wall, this huge wall, once every day for six days. And on the seventh day, walk around it seven times. I mean, why? Why would you do that? But we know they did. They took the faith. I mean, they took faith to march around that city. Of, it took faith to march around that city of Jericho. And it takes faith to trust in God's ways, even when you don't understand them. How true is that in our lives? So many times in my life, like, I feel like I'm supposed to do something. But really, God? That don't make any sense. Why would I do it that way? This makes a lot more sense. What if we do this here program or this organization or do this here job or whatever? When God tells us to do something, to step out and to walk it out. Larry Kreider has said, and, and Larry Kreider is a, a man that I highly respect. Um, and those of you that are going part, uh, through the... Uh, Dove School of Ministry, you'll get to know Larry, but I've, I've known Larry for a long time. And he says, faith is not a feeling. It is a mighty living force released in our lives when we choose to hear and confess God's word daily. 
And this faith is not only for a select group of people. This faith, we'll see, is for everybody. We can all choose. And as we submit ourselves to God and we submerge ourselves in his word, the, Hebrew, the writer of Hebrews brings that out in this last verse, verse 31. It says, it was by faith that Rahab, the prostitute, was not destroyed with the people in her city who refused to obey God, for she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. When you have a sinful past, have faith in God's miraculous deliverance. God cares about each one, and our past is not, does not uh, dictate what he can do. In Joshua 2, chapter 11, I mean, chap- chapter 2, verse 11, we read her declaration to the spies. When we heard of it, how the Lord dried up the waters of the Red Sea for you and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites, our hearts melted and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on the earth below. Rahab put her trust and her faith in the Lord, the God of the Israelites. She didn't just see the miraculous signs, but she acted upon what she saw. She put her life at risk to shelter, protect, and help the two spies because of what she believed. She told the spies in Joshua 2, 11, for the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on the earth below. This morning, my desire for each of us is not just to stir us up and make us go, wow, at the miraculous stories that we've seen in the Bible, but to challenge each of us, myself included, to grow in our faith and to be able to act upon what we say we believe. That faith takes God seriously, that his word is true, that when you are trapped by your circumstances, to have faith in God's deliverance. Faith honors God with reverence and respect. And when you face those insurmountable obstacles, have faith in God's deliverance. Even if you have a sinful past, have faith in God's miraculous deliverance. In the book that I picked, uh, that we, I got several years ago, or when we were down at the Send um, several years ago, but it's, it's by Daniel Kalenda. It's, it's called Unlocking the Miraculous Through Prayer and Faith. But there's a story in here that kind of helps bring this, bring this home. It's a story about a little girl it says many years ago, a region of the American Midwest had been stricken by drought. There was a small town there that was totally dependent upon farming, and the crops were dying in the fields because of the lack of rain. A day of prayer and fasting was declared in which all the townspeople would come from their surrounding farms and spend the day in prayer asking God to send rain. That morning, a five-year-old girl came along with her parents to their church to pray. Some people were amused at this little girl because she was carrying an umbrella. They asked her why, and she replied that she thought they had come there that day to pray for rain, and she didn't want to get wet going home. Some 
suddenly conviction gripped their hearts. The people realized that they had come to pray, but no one but this little girl had actually believed anything was going to change. In tears, they repented of their unbelief, and these same townspeople began to pray that day as though they really believed their prayers were going to change things. About four o'clock that afternoon, clouds began to form on the western sky. By evening, a slow, soaking rain had begun to fall across the region. The heavens had literally opened for these people. This slow rain lasted for three days and nights. Their crops were saved, and they eventually had one of the biggest harvests they had ever seen. Everyone remembered that it was the little girl with her umbrella who had come to pray and had changed their hearts from a place of religious duty bound by unbelief to a place of expectancy that God would, in fact, hear and act. We must believe and expect God's best blessings whenever we pray. Praying with faith and expectancy will always attract the presence and the power of God. It takes faith to believe God will do what he says he will do. And unbelief will stifle the power and presence of God in our lives. This morning as we've talked about this, the miraculous ways that God worked. And there's many, many more stories like that in the Bible. But as we've talked about that, my heart is that there are people in each of our lives, whether it be at work, be at school, be in our communities, that are hurting and need a miraculous touch from Jesus. You know, we've been praying this in this area for revival in this region for, for a long time. But the thing that God, the Holy Spirit continues to, to burden me with and lay on my heart is, do I have the faith to believe that Jesus is wanting to use me, is wanting to use you to bring that revival to them, to, to change their lives. As I thought about that this morning, the question is, are you ready to take those steps of faith, confessing God's word each day so that he can move in ways that are far beyond what you can do on your own strength? Remember, it's not about me. It's not about you. It's about what God wants to do through us in this region, around the world. So this morning as we wrap up here, I'm going to invite the prayer team to come, come up. The prayer team, they're going to be over here on the, on the side. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up. Um, but as we wrap up here this morning, if you are struggling with questions about God's power and goodness towards you personally, like you're struggling to believe that, that God wants to use me, wants to work in my life, or if you're feeling like life is too much of a mess, that your life is too much of a mess for God to be able to use you. Like your past, there's just, there's just too much garbage in my past. God, he can't use me. You're struggling with that. Because the enemy wants to continue to, to stifle you and to, to keep you from being um, effective and being able to walk that out in faith. Or if you're feeling trapped by your circumstances, and the obstacles just seem to be too great, too overwhelming, too difficult to address. And it doesn't feel like there is any possible good answer whatsoever. 
whatever your circumstances this morning, whether it be finances, whether it be addictions, whether it be relationships, how you feel about yourself, I invite you to come to him, to humble yourself in his presence, to repent of your unbelief and ask him to help you believe, to help you trust, to help you have the faith in him. God is a good God and he will work everything it says in scripture for those, everything for good, for those who love him, for those who put their faith and trust in him. So I want you to stand with me this morning. I'm going to invite the, the prayer team to come up here. But if you're struggling with these questions about God's power and what he wants to do through you, if you're feeling like your life is just too much and you want somebody to stand with you, to pray with you, I encourage you to, to come up and get somebody to pray with you.